issue with his uncle involving fair wages. And Jacob, as we have seen, was an heir to the promises of God. But up to this point in his life, those promises were yet still unfulfilled. So what should Jacob do in that situation? What should we do when we think about God's promises and the lack of fulfillment today? What we should do is what Jacob should have done, and it is trust God to keep his word. Despite enemy opposition and even your own faithlessness at times, we should trust God to keep his word despite enemy opposition and even your own lack of faith at times. I invite you to stand with me if you're able this morning. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 30 starting at verse 25. These words were inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by Moses. Now it came about when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me depart. For you yourself know my service which I have rendered to you. But Laban said to him, If now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. He continued, Name me your wages, and I will give it. But he said to him, You yourself know that I have served you, and how your cattle have fared with me, for you had little before I came, and it has increased to a multitude, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep, and every black one among the lambs, and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And such shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come concerning my wages, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. Laban said, Good. Let it be according to your word. Let's pray together. Father, we do rejoice in the privilege of being here today. Father, we rejoice in the privilege of opening up our Bible today of having a word from God Almighty. Father, as we read this story today about what happened to Jacob several thousands of years ago, God, you intended for this story to be recorded for a reason and for a purpose. Holy Spirit, help us to understand the truth about God, the truth about our own sinfulness and our own need for faith. Holy Spirit, help us to understand that in the midst of this text before us today. And Father, as you speak, I pray our hearts are stirred not just to the point of belief, but to the point of action. And Father, again, thank you for speaking Thank you for the word you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
As we've been looking at the life of Jacob over the last several weeks, we have seen time and time again God's covenant that he made with Jacob, God's promise to Jacob. We see this back in chapter 27, verses 28 and 29. Where his father Isaac says, Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be the one who cursed you and blessed be those who bless you. And again in chapter 28, verses 13 through 15, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. At this point in the story, we have seen that now Jacob has people. He has 11 sons, and he has a daughter. So that part of the promise has come about. He now has a people, yet he has, to this point, no property. And he has no prosperity. But we begin to see something happen in Jacob in verse 25. We see Jacob's reorientation reorientation something is changing in his heart he's beginning to grow restless in his current situation whether it was boredom whether it was just he didn't like the living situation he had or whether something spiritual was happening in him there was a growing restlessness in Jacob he was reorienting his way of thinking to the point we see in verse 25 and 26, he gives a hopeful request. A hopeful request. It says, It came about when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own place, my own country. Joseph is the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. And we have seen before that when major life changes happen to us, it begins to to cause a, a different way of thinking in our lives, a, a newfound spiritual openness. So maybe that's part of what happened, but maybe, ja maybe Jacob was remembering the promise of God and, and thinking to this point, there is more to my life than what is happening now. So he gives this request. It really, it's, it's a demand. He says, send me on my way. Verse 26, Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me depart. For you yourself know. It's an emphatic statement. You yourself know my service which I have rendered to you. Remember at this point he has worked for 14 years for his uncle. He worked seven years to marry Rachel and Laban tricked him into marrying the older daughter Leah. And then says, well, You can marry Rachel, but you've got to promise me you're going to work seven more years. So at this point, it's been 14 years. And Jacob has two wives, two maids, 12 children. But now he wants to go home. 
You yourself know the service that I rendered. A hopeful request is met by a hesitant response. A hesitant response. Laban said to him, If now it pleases you, stay with me. These are words of, of humility. The words uh, of, of placing yourself underneath someone else's leadership. Now Laban was a, a trickster to the, to the fullest degree. He was using flattery here, trying to butter up uh, Jacob, knowing the situation of Jacob just leaving would not be in his best interest. He said, If now it pleases you, stay with me, because I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. The word divine there means he used superstitious means of trying to figure out God and what God is doing. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me. So, Definitely, God has blessed Laban. Once Jacob has arrived, the, the, Jacob's work, Jacob's initiative have brought him a great deal of money. And he continued, Name me your wages and I will give it. Now, if we remember back in the early part of the story when they first met, Laban presented that same question to Jacob Name me your wages. And Jacob said, you know, seven years, and then I'll marry your daughter. Laban probably is thinking, you know, I've, I've made this work for me once. Let's see if I can do it again. Name your wages, son. A hesitant response. Laban was definitely blessed by covenant association. All those who bless you, I will bless. But remember the other part of that equation. God said, those who curse you, I will curse. And Laban was all about the blessing. And how often are you like Laban? More concerned with the blessings that God gives than the blesser. Laban had no concern for God or the things of God. All he wanted was what God could do for him. That was behind his hesitant response. What more can I get out of this young man who was blessed by God. Then we see, thirdly, an honest rebuttal. Jacob responds to him in return and says, you yourself know how I have served you. He said, you don't need to divine anything. You yourself know that I have served you and that you've been blessed and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came. It has increased to a multitude. Literally, it has spread out, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now what shall I provide for my own household? God's blessing was obvious, and there was an increase. We've had a lot of people that were out this past week traveling, spring break and whatnot. I love to travel. I love to go and see new things and new places. I also love to come back home. Those of y'all have been gone for a while, wasn't it good to get back home? Get back in your own bed, in your own shower, and in all your own comforts, your own coffee mugs, and whatnot. Something about being gone too long makes you homesick. Jacob was getting a little homesick. It had been 14 years since God had promised him that land and that property and that prosperity. It hadn't happened yet. 
He was growing restless. As Christians, there should be a bit of homesickness in our hearts too. Because God has promised us something. God has promised us heaven. He's promised us glory. And we're not home yet. And all of the things, the trials and tribulations that we endure are very vivid reminders to us that we're not there yet. A growing restlessness. Do you feel it in your heart, in your soul? Jacob felt that. God was beginning to use that to reorient Jacob back to where he needed to be. Secondly, in our story, we see Jacob's restitution. Jacob was in position now to, to offer terms. And I can't help but think that he remembered the last time Laban said, name your wages. And Jacob, the wheels were turning. He had to play this carefully or he was going to find himself in a whole heap of trouble again. So he offers, first of all, a viable decision. In verse 31, he said to him, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. He said, Don't give me nothing. Let me earn it. I don't want you thinking that you made me something. I want to earn what I get. He said, If you will do this one thing for me, I will go out again and pasture and keep your flock. And here was his decision. Let me pass through your entire flock today. I'm going to remove every speckled and spotted sheep and every black sheep among the lambs, all the spotted and speckled among the goats, and, and these shall be my wages. He said, let me, let me have the ones that uh, by appearance are, are a little more defective than the others. You can keep all the pure white sheep. You can keep all the pure dark goats. But everything else that, that is variated in color, that, that, that does not happen as often, that are smaller in quantity, I'll take those and you keep the other pure in color. And he said, my honesty will answer for me. And that's awful funny up to this point with Jacob. We haven't seen a lot of honesty out of Jacob, have we, in the story. My honesty will answer for me. But he does provide a viable decision here that you come into the flocks and you see any that are pure white or pure dark, you'll know that those belong to you. And the ones that are speckled and spotted those and striped, those are mine. So Laban looks it over, says, that sounds like a good decision. Let it be according to your word, he says in verse 34. However, Laban moves quickly to turn this situation in his favor. What does he do? Verse 35. So he removed on that day. On that day. He didn't waste no time. On that day, he removed the striped and spotted male goats, all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white in it, and all the black ones among the sheep, and he gave them to the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. He said, all right, you're going to get all the striped and spotted ones from this point forward. Sounds good to me. And that very day, he removed all of those from the flock. Left Jacob with all the ones that belonged to Laban. He said, now go out and take care of these sheep and these lambs, these goats. It was a vicious deception on Laban's part. All the marked animals were removed 
and given to Laban's sons with three days' separation. Laban's thinking to himself, I am the champ when it comes to this kind of wheelings and dealings. Young Jacob's wet behind the ears. You think after 14 years he'd done figured it out by now. He can't play me. I am the champion, my friends. Jacob's restitution. And the problem here with Jacob now is that he wants to go home, but he cannot return home until the matter of wages is handled. Think about your own desire for home. We said if heaven is our home, and we want to go home, but there's this issue of wages... Because the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages, what we've earned through our sin, the wages of sin is death. So there's an issue there. We can't return home until the wages are figured out. The Bible says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We sing the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. That means that when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross to pay your wages. He went to the cross not to give you minimum wage, but to give you maximum wage. He's not going to give you just the bare minimum. He's going to pay it all. In fact, we we need not call it wages. We call it grace. Because the Lord did something for you you did not deserve. He gave you the death and the blood of His Son to be the wage for your sin and your separation. To provide the way for you and your restless heart to return home again. Jacob's restitution. There was opposition there as much as there is opposition in your life. But the wages are paid in full. And you dare not forget that. If you do so, you're fighting a losing fight. Jacob's restitution. Finally, we see Jacob's retaliation in verse 37. His motto, it would seem, is don't get mad, get even. That's what he does. He takes matters into his own hands. The question we have here is where is his faith? God's promised him people, and now he's got 12 children. God's promised him the land, the property, and the prosperity. At this point in time, Jacob should say, Okay, God, this is out of my hands. I need your help. We don't see that very often in Jacob up to this point in his life. First thing we see is human intuition. Jacob trusts in his skills, his agrarian skills, his animal husbandry skills. No mention of prayer. No mention of of God, okay, I'm going to have to have your help to see me through in this. Lord, I pray that your justice is served. We don't see any of that, but we see intuition and, and skill and manipulation first thing we see in verse 37 through 40 is some superstitious breeding they wouldn't teach this process in 4-H today or in FFA but Jacob's desperate here 
He's thinking, I've got to resort to something to make this happen. All I've got is pure white sheep and pure dark goats, and I'm after the speckled and the striped stuff and the off-colored stuff. I don't have any of that right now. What do I do? How do I make these sheep breed and, and put out speckled and spotted sheep? So what does he do? Verse 37, he took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees, and he peeled the bark off, exposing the white stripes which was in the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink. And they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks brought forth stripes, speckled, and spotted. Now we read that and we say, oh, what did Jacob do? So what he did is gave a visual display in their mating place. They saw white and dark striped rods. And think, okay, they see striped and speckled stuff when they mate, it'll produce striped and speckled stuff. We, we, we read this and it, it sounds funny to us, but that's what Jacob did. Because he's desperate. He uses a, a local folk custom, this visual display of white and dark branches, and the flocks mated. And he's thinking, and they're going to produce striped and speckled animals. But look what happened. The flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs, and he made the flocks face toward the striped, and all the black in the flock of Laban, and he put his own herds apart. He did not put them with Laban's flock. So, okay, and they're, they're starting to produce the off-colored stuff. And Jacob separates. Here's all the striped stuff over here that's mine. Here's all Laban stuff over here. So he moves from superstitious breeding now to selective breeding. Now this makes a little more sense in verse 41 to 42. Over the course of the next six years, here's what he does. Moreover, when the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the side of the flock in the gutters so that they would mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble... He did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. So what he would do, he would make the strongest with the strongest of his. With Laban's, he would not allow them, the strongest and the strongest to mate. So what he was doing was building up this enormous sized flock and the stronger ones were his and the weaker ones were Laban's. And he keeps doing this with the rods. And understand the rods have nothing to do with this. Because what happens here is heavenly intervention in verse 43. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. He got so much growth in the flocks, he was able to trade and barter and get servants and camels. In that day and age, camels were a big expense. And for a man to own not just one, but multiple camels, this was a man of wealth. And load-bearing animals, donkeys. He was growing herds like his kids. He was trying to use superstition. Remember the episode with the mandrakes between Leah and Rachel? What he thought was superstitious means was really God's sovereign hand. And God's blessing, God fulfilling His promise. It was truly by divine means. The phrase there in verse 43, He became exceedingly prosperous. 
This isn't the only time that God has used those words. Back in 28, chapter 28, verse 14. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, to the east, north, and south. You will break forth. Back in chapter 30, verse 30, he said, You had little before I came. It has increased to a multitude. It has broken forth. God promised Jacob what would happen. It was happening to Laban, but now it was no longer happening to Laban. It was happening to Jacob as he became exceedingly prosperous, as he was breaking forth in abundance. God had promised it would happen, and it did. God promised to bless anyone who blessed Jacob, and Laban was blessed through Jacob's efforts. Once Laban began to try to swindle Jacob, cursed will be anyone who curses you. When Jacob first arrived in Haran, there were two things that caught his eye. Remember that? One of them was uh, Laban's daughter Rachel, and the other one was the flocks of Laban. And now 20 years later, Jacob has them both. It took 20 years. took a lot of hard work, a lot of pain, a lot of mistakes. But God's promise came to be. The moral of the story for us is to trust God to keep His word. Despite the enemy opposition, and there will be, and there is enemy opposition that tries to teach us and and attempt us not to trust God, to despair. And we need to trust God to keep His word even in our own lack of faith. Nothing in this entire episode demonstrates anything that Jacob did out of faith other than the desire to return home. And if we give him the benefit of doubt, maybe that was motivated by faith in what God had said. Maybe it was just he didn't like his circumstances. Whatever the case, God had made a promise of people that was fulfilled and of prosperity, now that was fulfilled. One more thing missing, the property, the land. And would that come? Today is Palm Sunday, and we do remember and recognize this was a promise fulfilled. God, back in the Garden of Eden, promised a Messiah, a Deliverer, who would crush the head of the serpent who would redeem his people from sin. All throughout the Old Testament, for hundreds of years, there was this promise. A deliverer would come. And on Palm Sunday, it was the recognition that God's promise was being fulfilled. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As Jesus came into Jerusalem, ultimately to the cross, and through the resurrection, the promise of God was fulfilled the first coming. But what about the second coming? You know, it's been 2,000 years now. Jesus, when he left, he said, I'm coming back. What about that promise? You know, this week the missile strikes in Syria took place and, and people again began to, to look at the events in the world today and, and seeing how things are spiraling. It seems to be out of control. I read one comment on the internet this week. It said, The world is being destroyed and Jesus is still on vacation. Shaking my head. 
saying, yeah, he promised he was going to come back and fix stuff. It's getting worse. Where is this Jesus now? Second Peter verse, chapter 3, verses 9-15 through 15 provide an answer for this. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness. Jacob had to wait 20 years to get to where he was. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, God was working in Jacob's heart. Jacob had a lot of baggage that God had to, had to deal with and get through. Same thing, same thing in the world today. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. He is coming. His word says so. Therefore, you must rest patiently in His promises. And understand, His promises are dependent upon nothing else other than His own faithfulness. God is true and cannot lie. God says, Jesus is coming again. Get ready. God says, repent and believe in the gospel and you will be saved. Let's pray together.